Thanks for joining us. I'm Alan Burke, a landscape architect here in the Puget Sound region, and you are listening to the Green Meridian Podcast. Our guest on Green Meridian today is Josh Gillow. Josh has spent almost his entire life in the outdoor construction and design trades. He worked from the age of 18 in his family business, Timberline Landscape, and then over a number of years moved on to Master Plan Outdoor Living, his own company that has built over $40 million in outdoor construction over many years. He also started Yes Express Sales Academy, a program to teach design, build, and management methods to interested students. To date, Yes Express has trained over 100 business owners and teams. In 2021, he started the Outer Spaces podcast, and when he's not working, you'll find him spending quality time with his wife, Bryn, and his two sons, Jacob and Oliver, dreaming about the next adventure. We welcome Josh Gillow. My guest today is Joshua Gillow. Uh, welcome, Joshua. Good to see you. I have uh, only uh, experienced you uh, vicariously and through social media and uh, occasional video. So uh, uh, happy to talk to you today. How's the, how's the week been going? Week's been good, uh, Alan. Thanks for having me on here. It's been it's been good starting out here, you know, on a Tuesday. But it's we're cranking up, ready to have a really great time. Mm-hmm. What's the morning like for you to get to this? I mean, is it pretty relaxing for you, or you uh, or did you have to scramble to to get back and sit down and be able to spend a moment? Well, most days are pretty, pretty simple, you know, have uh, rituals and things tied in for the mornings. And today's a little Mm -hmm. bit different, have a plumber at the house and found Mm -hmm. a leak under a toilet and had to fix a floor and that kind of stuff. And then I'm like, I think I'll make the podcast. So these things happen, right? Life happens. Yeah. So it's all good. It all sounds great when it's three weeks in advance and you're like thinking, ah, that shouldn't be a problem. And then day of show, it's like, oh my God. Yeah, exactly. It comes fast. Like any, uh, like any kind of meeting. Now you've been in the outdoor construction business for pretty much your whole life. Your family owned a landscape company, is that right? Yeah, so I've been doing it for about twenty six years now. I grew up since age five in a garden center. So you know, from mm-hmm. five to eighteen, I worked there. Then started my first company. I was mm-hmm. twenty six years ago when I started the first company. So and, and where was that? Where was the garden center? It's in Easton, Pennsylvania. So right next to New Jersey on the eastern central side, Pennsylvania. I see, and that's where you still are now. Yep. Yeah. Well, I actually moved about 30 minutes away from my, um, my childhood home and mm-hmm. live here at my wife and two sons. Yeah. It's nice to be close. I live, uh, diametrically as far as possible from my family in Florida here in the, yeah. <laughs> was that by design? <laughs> it is. I tell people if, uh, if you hear they're coming, let me know so I can swim West, you know, yeah, you go. go to Alaska, right? That's the next one. <laughs> exactly. Wherever I need to go. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's, that's a lot of experience. Uh, so you, you've, you've been in and out. So you're, your your training in this was really just through your own work. Is that correct? Did you do any formal horticultural stuff or? Uh, so no, growing up in the garden center, you know, we uh, we just we raised everything, seeds up, and then we started buying things and, and mm-hmm. reselling and all of that for years. And 
um, you know, many, 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 many hours transplanting plants and taking them from little pea pots up to regular bigger things and all the way down through and just keep growing these things. But did that for most of my youth. And uh, so then I went to school for architectural and mechanical engineering for two years and uh, got my associate's degree doing that and started the the landscaping company at that point. Mm-hmm. We were, my brother's about 18 months younger than me. So uh, we started having people come in the garden center and saying, hey, do your boys do odd jobs and work? And uh, we started thinking like, wait a minute, because Alan, we worked our entire childhood and we never got paid a nickel. You know, that was never the focus. We always had enough. We always had everything we needed. Um, never more than enough, but just enough, right? You know, mm-hmm. it works in a family business. And the next thing you know, we, you know, we turn them around 18 and, and people start asking us and I'm, I'm sort of thinking like, you know, it wouldn't be bad to have a couple of bucks in our pocket. I used to work on Saturdays on a local farm for 20 bucks a day, bailing hay in the mm-hmm. heat just mm-hmm. to have extra spending cash. Right. So anyway, fast forward to 18, people start asking, we're like, yeah, sure. We go out, we'd have no idea how to price things. And we're like thousand bucks. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, dude, damn, <laughs> we can make a thousand bucks in a day. There's yeah. seven days in a week. <laughs> like, and you kind of knew and you knew already how it went together. And so oh, it was really sure. more about the mechanics and processes and getting that yeah. figured out uh, all, overall. So yeah, you did that so. for a number of years that that all kind of gelled and uh, coalesced and was relatively successful. But then you decided to move on and you founded another company or you were working with another company. Is that is that master plan was the next step for you? It was, yeah. So Timber Rock was the original first company and that company was design build, right? We had everybody in house, all the equipment, all of that stuff was in house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kept watching around, watching the pool builders and the house builders thinking like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Like I love the design. I love the clients. I just don't love the headache of the drunk employees or the stuff yeah. breaking down or any of that stuff. I just didn't want to do that. So there's gotta be a better business model. So that's when we started almost over 12 years ago now, started master plan, which is design manage. So mm-hmm. very little mm-hmm. overhead and we mm-hmm. manage projects, design, mm-hmm work with clients, manage all the monies, townships, all that stuff, and just bring in specialists that are awesome in their category to be able to bring these things to life for. So but doing that now. Almost all residential? Uh, work. All, it's all residential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, a commercial, but mostly residential. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, you're doing that now. You're, you're, you're stretched kind of thin. I mean, you've got the, you got the podcast, you've got your sales academy. Yes. Express mm-hmm. also, and you're parsing out time between those. How, how do you parse out your, your time, your lifetime and then fit in time for your, your two sons and everything else. How, how do you, how do you work all that out? It's called yes management. And it's something mm-hmm. that I'm building, right? Mm-hmm. Because I see opportunity everywhere. You know, I'm like, okay, well, I need to take all that, that shiny object syndrome and kind of get it focused because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like I, I, I can accomplish anything I set my mind to. So, you know, when it comes to business or life or any, you know, a marathon, a mountain, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's like, we're going to go and we're going to crush it. So anyway, so I have to look at things and as I'm, as things are scaling and building and, you know, we're having the real estate as well. And it's media and all that. It's like, now I only have so many hours in a day and there's certain things that are, that are, uh, I do not allow to change, which one thing is, uh, is family time, right? That is so important because for many years I was, it was an imposter. I was showing up to my family physically, but I, my heart and my mind were back in business watching my phone. Like it just wasn't there. And, uh, after when I realized that fully, it broke me to my core. I was at a men's event and realized that and said, Holy moly, I need to change. I need to change something quick. So anyway, made that change. Hasn't been easy, but made that change and created what I call my four F's, which are my foundation for the day. So my four F's are faith, family, fitness, and finance. So each one of those every single day gets time allotted for it. And we don't skip any days. So the reality is faith for me is reading two pages of scripture in the morning. 
And uh, family then is spending time with my family. They're going for a walk with my wife every single morning or spending time with my kids when they're packing lunch for school. And then after school, we go play pickleball or we, um, I'm a scoutmaster at Boy Scouts. So I, I force myself to have time for my kids because mm -hmm. it's so easy for me to just chase after the next big thing because that's mm -hmm. what I love to do. I love building things. How, anyway, old are your how old are your boys? My oldest is almost 16 and my Ooh. youngest is 13. Ooh, condolences, man. That is Yeah, it's been, tough, it's tough, been good. Tough good time. Kids. Yeah, it's, they're really good kids and they help out a lot too. And, uh -huh. and, uh, it's been, been really good, but it's, 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 mo you know, focusing on those four F's every day. And I like to call it the two millimeter principle where every day you just add two millimeters of mm -hmm. input into each one of those and you keep moving it forward. It accumulates like snow and pretty soon you have the life that you dreamed of. But if you start taking them out, if I take faith out or I take family out or I take fitness out or finance out of that mix and start focusing on one more than another, the next thing you know, like a table, imagine each one of those being a leg to a table, the table eventually topples over if one leg is significantly longer than another or short. So, but you still have, you, you still have a situation where you're perhaps speaking away out of town mm -hmm. and you you're away from your family yep. and, uh, uh, or you're out on a family gathering and you're not necessarily able to spend a, a much focus on, on your, on your work at all, or, you know, various permutations of all of that. Are you, uh, are you setting aside time during the week where you're more focused on like your uh, on your Yes Express uh, development of the of the business and the the say an upcoming class discussion or something like that? Uh, a, a focused time for say the podcast work and outlining or talking to a guest with that. How do you how do you actually pragmatically parse out the time for the business part of it? Yeah. So that's a great question. And it's, it's, I've had to develop the skill to be able to do a lot in a little, right. Compressed decades in the days. So having mentors in my life have helped me with the businesses scale faster, grow faster, mm -hmm. um, being able to bring problems that I find as problems and they find it as something they have for breakfast every day in order to get, you know, past some of those, those limitations. But, you know, there's definitely time parsed out for that. Um, and it's just a matter of being very purposeful with your time and purposeful with your schedule. My schedule is where I run off everything. So I look at the schedule. I know exactly what I'm going to be doing each and every day. And then I have space in there for creative time as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't, with my landscaping company, I don't do any design. I'm, I'm not really there. The team runs that company. I'm in there maybe two, three hours a week max for meetings. The rest is, is they just, they take care of everything. So all the management, all the, uh, sales, all of the, um, you know, customer relations, money's mm -hmm. ins, outs, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. They manage it all. So I then have that time to free up to work on Yes Express stuff and work on mm -hmm. systems and processes mm -hmm. and all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it is being very very purposeful with time and saying mm -hmm. no to really good things to say yes to incredible things. That's great. That's one. That's been one of the hardest things of growth is to say no to things you really really want to do, but you know are not going to push your mission forward. That'd be fun to do, but they don't push the needle. Mm -hmm. And a whole completely different way of looking at it uh, in comparison to the way that a lot of people see things, which is, you know, uh, looking at the difficulty in doing it and the impediments as opposed to the opportunity that you have to parcel out and give yourself. You know, yep. that sounds like a, uh, the way you're, you're thinking of it. My uh, guest today is Joshua Gillow, and uh, we will be back in just a second. So Joshua, tell us something uh, unusual about yourself that you don't generally let people know about, or they don't ask, or you don't usually share. It doesn't have to be super private, but just something kind of a little off off the wall that it would surprise people. I love to 
spend time in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Probably won't come as a surprise to anybody that sees anything that we do, but I love being out in nature. I love conquering things. I love challenge. Do you are, are you a trail runner? I know you run, so you're a trail runner as well as a marathoner. It's well, sometimes, yeah. I've, mm-hmm. uh, I've again with that faith being uh, faith, family, fitness. So mm-hmm. then the fitness is like, what am I focusing on for about four years? I was running, did a marathon, you know, ran a lot of miles in a day and a week, mm-hmm. um, and then I started getting into more, um, you know, just working with a trainer and building overall muscle mass and and mm-hmm. growth that way and getting stronger mm-hmm. that way. That's what I've been focused on the last seven months. So always having something out in front in order to keep mm-hmm. pushing forward, always a mm-hmm. new adventure, something to conquer, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's just in the masculine heart to have an adventure, right? And mm-hmm. to, um, to do that. So always having that, having this insatiable need for and want for new challenges. And mm-hmm. I believe that challenges are the gifts that we grow from, right? Mm-hmm. Problems, challenges, all of that, those without them, we're dead. So what are the, let's have more quality problems, right? More quality challenges mm-hmm. and work our way in that direction. So to answer your question is I love to be challenged. I love to do things that I otherwise thought I couldn't do. Um, you know, my mind would kick in and say, dude, who do you think you are doing that? And I'd be like, watch me, mm-hmm. you know, I probably not going to get it right. I'm going to suck at first. That's fine, but I will not stop until I win it. And what do you, uh, what are you reading? What do you, what do you do for, uh, your recreational type reading or what, what do you, what's on the, what's on the bed stand at night that you're reading? If anything? I read, yeah, no, I read a lot of stuff, uh, right now, obviously, like I mentioned in the face side that I read uh, scripture every morning. And then from there, um, I forget the name of the book that I'm reading right now, but I've read tons of different books, you know, Traction's mm-hmm. a great one. You've got, uh, you know, just so many great books out there. Uh, are you gravitating toward, toward toward business books, though? Or are you reading like fiction and things oh, like that? Oh, never fiction. It's always mm-hmm. business or some version of it. It's always some way to grow and to help because my mm-hmm. bigger mission in life is to impact and empower human lives. And I can't mm-hmm. do that if I'm in mm-hmm. some fairy tale land, right? So I got to be in the, the practical nature of things and not just business, but so much mindset, Alan, right? right. Henry right. Ford said it best, whether you believe you can or believe you believe you can't, you're right, right? And that's permeates everybody's life. The biggest chunk of, of real estate or the, the most important chunk of real estate anybody can ever own is the six inches between their ears. Mm-hmm. Right. And most run their entire lives thinking that they're either not enough or that they uh, are, are worried about what other people think, or they have some other, you know, deep seated question that they keep asking themselves that they don't mm-hmm. even aware of. They just think that's who they are and they have mm-hmm. no choice in that. And I thought the same thing until I was about 40 years old and I'm 44 now. And I've learned that all of those things, those questions, those those uh, thoughts in your head are, are unanimous with all humanity. We don't own that stuff. We are not islands. Mm-hmm. You know, all men have very similar doubts in their minds about themselves, but we keep them to ourselves. So we really don't ever talk about them. So then we can keep them um, all bottled up so that we have an unsolvable problem in life. And that's just the nature, right? But if we realize that none of that is true, that all of those constructs of your mind, the I'm not enough, or uh, what do other people think, or all these kinds of things that really, what if I fail, like all of these bigger questions, that is something that you can control. Those are just, imagine it like a record player, Alan, right? You have a certain pattern that you run in your head constantly, right? Either I'm not enough, or I wish I had more, or whatever it might be. It's a constant pattern running in your head, like that record. Just like a record, you can take the record off the record player and put a different one on. It's a choice. If we don't realize that we're listening to a record, then we think that we're stuck with that one song forever. You know, I was listening, I I listened to vinyl um, and uh, having recently kind of semi-retired, sold my business and 
still there and doing a lot of stuff um uh it's taken on a completely different color for me and um something that's kind of informed my thinking since 2021 and after the pandemic and after the incredible recession of the mid 2000s and all of that um and all the turmoil that we went through which now feels so distant and kind of like a, a blip on the radar when in the moment it was absolutely life altering uh and for many still is of course um I just looked at how fleeting it all is, you know, mm-hmm. and how in the end, everything is so consummately important to you. But then when it starts to wane and fade, the only thing that's really left is family and your career and your portfolio of pictures don't really matter mm-hmm. to, to many people. And so um, it just, you know, I think when you're in the midst of it and you're striving, you feel this kind of incredible drive and false sense of importance around the things that you're trying to accomplish uh, while uh, the world is, you know, going by right in front of you, you know, that six inches of real estate for me is rented and not quite owned and, uh, and is, uh, and I don't know that I really read the entire lease. So I probably should get in there and, uh, and, and focus <laughs> a little bit more. My records are scratched and, uh, you know, uh, and it's a good analogy because some of those are the best ones that I listen to and that's why they're all scratched up. Mm-hmm. So not that that means anything, maybe it does, but, um, does. but you get now to you, pick those you, records. That's the thing. Alan, yeah. you get to pick the records. And if you want to listen to a record of you being optimistic and, and grateful and happy, you can put that record on and listen to I it. I can, I can listen to all my, uh, sixties British invasion stuff and my seventies rock and uh i don't care what people think my wife hates all that what she calls discordant jazz you know like a, her, her <laughs> idea of a nightmarish music is to listen to like sonny rollins or something like that just you know mm-hmm. blasting it out on a bridge and to me that's absolutely sublime you know yeah, yeah. so uh to each their own uh, right. but i can shut myself in and do that now you've been in uh design build design and the nursery business in the work that you're doing now how would you characterize what you're doing as how, how would you characterize it as um, being misunderstood by the clients and public? What is one of the things that you have to kind of reorient people to when you're trying to uh, uh, market services that they have a uh, 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 preconceived notion that's incorrect? Is there something fairly common about that? There is on the S Express side, the consulting side, working directly with contractors in this space. The one thing that oh, the couple of things, but probably the highest level is helping them switch their focus from transactional relationships Mm -hmm. to transformational relationships, going from the the hero in the transaction, like, Hey, I can do this for you versus um, I'm the guide and we're going to help transform your backyard, i.e. transform your life, right? Create that Mm -hmm. space for family Mm -hmm. memories and all that stuff. Like we talked about family and the time being so important. It's the highest level of currency, right? So the lowest level is money. So now it's a matter of taking the focus away from how many, you know, projects can I get? You know, if I need to do a million dollars in a year, let's say, and I need 10, $100,000 projects to do it, every client looks like a $100,000 paycheck. And then you start treating them that way because you see them that way. Then you wonder why you're not closing that project or you're not getting a great review at the end or doing a great job because you're focused only on the money. When Mm -hmm. you flip it and you say, look, I'm looking for a transformational relationship with this client? How can we make this space the best, even if it's a $75,000 at the end, or it's $275,000? It really makes no difference what the number is. But coming from that perspective and knowing you're guiding them. And you know, Alan, sometimes, and you know this as well as I do, probably even better. Sometimes the client isn't a great 
connection for your company. Sure. Maybe they aren't yeah. a great fit and that's okay. We are here to guide them. And if we're not, we'll just push them onto somebody else that we think is going to be good. like, Hey guys, look, we're not gonna be a great fit for this, but I know this guy, Joe, he is incredible at exactly this. So why don't you reach out to him? He's going to be able to help you out. You know, yeah. and being able to say no to clients and not feel like you have to go after every single one. I, I think it's a missing, it's definitely a missing part of the communication with clients, whether you take them on, potentially take them on or you don't. And that is the fact that when you don't take them on, you close down, You it's too, it's too knee jerk to close down the relationship completely and not help them. You know, That's I was at good. a project yesterday afternoon, in fact, where client called me after like three or four years and she brought someone in and it was a nightmare and they're potentially going to court together. And she brought me back and she said, and I've heard this many times, I wish I had just hired you originally because I had a good feeling at the time. And um, I look at that now, but I had, I, you know, it was all done with, I thought, grace at the time. Uh, yeah. I don't even know if it was that willful on my part. I just generally will do that where I'll refer them to, to folks and, you know, help them get it going. And there's no big acrimony as a function of that. But that does happen, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. And who knows how it comes around? We have a lot of folks that are, you know, we're doing like their sister's house or their second home and didn't do the first home or we're doing the third home and not the second home. And so um, uh, you just never know how things are going to turn out. One of our, our biggest pro uh, projects we ever did was uh, was uh, somebody's cousin that was just a small project that we did and uh, and and they called us and it ended up being something unusual. So yeah, I guess you just, you just never know. You had mentioned earlier that uh, you seek out mentors. Are there specific mentors that you uh, that you think of and that were especially helpful for you in your career? I've had so many mentors uh, over the years. I didn't think I needed them in the beginning. I thought I could do it all myself, right? Mm -hmm. So self-righteous and focused. And I was like, "That's a, if I can't do it, then it's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I can run this business. I'll figure it out. And I'll just do it by licking my wounds every time I mess up, right? Mm -hmm. So and I realized- Which you also I, do anyway, but yeah. yeah. True, but there, there's ways to fast track. You know, I've learned, I've done a lot of work with Tony Robbins over the years. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's really helped a lot to open and broaden up my- my perspective of the world. And one, one of his sayings and one of his uh, things that he always mentions is, you know, if you can compress decades into days, why wouldn't you, mm. what's that worth? Right. Mm. And, and so I say, okay, that's cool. So then I hired my first, uh, it was E-Myth. I don't know if you've read the book, but E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And I actually hired one of their coaches back as one of my first coaches. And one of the first exercises Alan, he had me do, and I didn't know why he did this with a business coaching. Right. But he said, here's what you're going to do for next week is you're going to sit down and you're going to write your own eulogy. Mm. And I was like, why would I do that? This is business coaching. This isn't personal. Mm. Why would I do that? And he's like, you need to figure out what the end looks like. And then mm -hmm. we can fill in the gap. So mm. I was like, huh? All right. So I'll never forget it. I sat there on a Saturday morning, my two kids, much, much younger at the time, running around under my feet into the, at the kitchen table. And I'm writing this, this eulogy and just bawling my eyes out, just thinking about all the things that I want my life to have meant, but how far I am from that. Right. Yeah. My sons are in the front of the room. My, mm -hmm. my wife is up there. My friend, like all of that. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, you've got some work because at the time I had a lot of vices. I had a lot of stuff going on in my life that I'm not real proud of. You know what I mean? And I look back and I was like, wow. Okay. So that really stuck with me and we coached together for a while, but that gave me some perspective. And, and then obviously working with Tony and I have real estate coaches. I have, you know, right now a life coach that I've had in a business coach for the last five years who has absolutely transformed my life or helped wow. me at least find it. Wow. But I'll tell you one thing, Alan, you probably found this too, but with good, a really, really good coach, they don't give you the answers. They let you figure it out, right? Yeah. They always have good questions and then they let you figure it out. And yeah, I was listening, I'm listening, I'm listening to the audio book uh, Rick, by Rick Rubin, The Creative Act. 
which is fascinating. And Rick Rubin is a very well-respected uh, music producer uh, mm -hmm. over many years. And instead of writing a book about like hanging with Jay-Z and Paul McCartney, he wrote a book about uh, the creative process, which was fascinating. And he was saying that uh, in the book yesterday that uh, the legendary basketball, uh, the legendary coach, John Wooden, would bring in new players out of college. And uh, they would come in expecting some big pep talk. And his initial meeting with them is he would show them, he says, today, we're going to learn how to tie our shoes. Mm -hmm. And they would sit down at the, at the in their benches and tie their shoes and get really frustrated. And, mm -hmm. uh, and yet the idea was, you know, your feet are so important. And if you don't yeah. tie, if you don't have well-fitting shoes and you don't put your socks on properly, there's damage at your little toe that will go all the way up to your brain, you know? Mm -hmm. When Ichiro started as an outfielder with the Mariners, um, the press came in and he was rubbing his foot with a stick, which he's been doing since he was four years old in Little League in Japan. And it's just this polished piece of wood that he carries around with him to keep his his feet in tone. And they said, what are, what are you doing? He, he said, I'm rubbing my feet with a stick. You know, and I thought, you know, the the very smallest, innocuous, almost inane things can be actually critically important to organizing your life and, you know, and honing your skills. But that that ability to look at the detail mm -hmm. and see it in real perspective uh, mm -hmm. is really critical, is really especially, critical. Especially someone from the outside who can see what's going on, because in your world, everything looks you're looking out of your lenses, right? Everything you know and perceive the world to be is how you then make your decisions and and your uh, thoughts around it. So when you look out into the world and someone else can guide you, say, you might see this, but have you ever saw that? Has, mm -hmm. Have you ever seen this perspective? Have you thought of it from this angle before? Mm -hmm. You know, and then you're like, no, I haven't. That could mean that. And, and you mix that, you mix that into that. The, the, the way that we work with, uh, you know, electricity and stone and the plant material and the soils and, you know, wood and metal and water and, uh, you know, nature and wind and, you know, the, the work production staff, which many times is from a completely different culture and may not yeah. even speak the language you speak, it couldn't be more difficult, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so you're also blending that into your thought process as well. Beyond all of your interpersonal things, you've got to actually handle and develop a skill that's very hard to, um, hard yeah. to pull together and coalesce into something real. So no kudos, doubt. And you know, what I learned along the, thank you. And what I learned along the journey is I thought I could always keep personal and business separate, right? There's that whole wall you're supposed to have between personal and business, meaning, well, you can go study business stuff, but you don't have to work on you personally, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, well, I just have to learn a new structure, a new um, strategy, whatever it might be, and I'll be able to solve a problem. But what I realized, Alan, is that I, that I was not able to grow a business if I wasn't personally growing faster than that business. And what I mean by that is this perspective and understanding and what holds me back and what are my fears? And if I have these fears, how are they coming up in my business? Because I'd find if I was, say, for instance, it's an excellent example that I, I dealt with and I'm still uh, dealing with at this point is, is a fear of confrontation, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, as a man, I'm like, well, I've never been in a fist fight in my life. I sat there, I'd sat there thinking about it. I'm like, I've never been in a fist fight. Maybe that has to do with the fact why I'm, I'm scared of confrontation with people, you know, like maybe that's why I've been a pleaser a lot of my life. Mm -hmm. So when these things start to become realistic and like, all right, now how do we solve that problem? Mm -hmm. Well, it's pretty simple. You get in a boxing ring with somebody and put gloves on. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. what you do, right? You get in confrontational situations and you do it uh, because you don't want to. And it's exactly what it did. And then I'm like, holy moly, now all of a sudden I'm 
I'm definitely much less of a pleaser than I've ever been. Hmm. And I'm able to say no to people because I know I need to, not because I'm afraid of what they say, or I'm like, that guy might punch me or something deep down. You don't realize how much your brain is running in the background. It's yeah. Like the other, the opposite can be true too, where you can, you can actually gravitate toward all the acrimony, you know, and uh, that kind of thing can happen too, where you're, you're not you're There are folks that are actually pro confrontation and uh, of course, yeah. and look and look for that oftentimes just on the internet where they can, safely criticized yeah. from behind the telephone tough guys is like call them. yeah exactly <laughs> telephone tough guys but uh, uh you know again when you see those fears that's my bigger point is when you see those fears and you start to get that perspective because we all have fears every single human has fears mm -hmm. and you know when you start to see them you're either just going to see them and ignore them or you're going to see them mm -hmm. and do something about mm -hmm. them and i found with business that if i had you know had issues asking for money or or whatever it might be or afraid to to ask for what i'm really worth or anything like mm -hmm. that I had to go back to what am I personally scared of? Because that's where it starts mm -hmm. and doing the work. And most people are scared to death to open that, that uh, veil, if you will. It's a lot easier just to stay as you are, stay, you know, uh, in your yeah. life, be comfortable, yeah. you know, numb yeah. yourself with alcohol or food right. or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, TV, whatever, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to do that than to face this shit. And that's mm -hmm. what I've made my life's mission is to find these things, search them out and destroy them. And not just for myself, now help other, you know, men and women do the same thing. I've been so blessed to be able to do that quite often and to just have them open up to see, because it's not about ever being like your mentor or like the person you're working with. It's about becoming the best version of yourself. Right, right. We are uh, going through this shit today with Joshua Gillow. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. We're back with Joshua Gillow. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, Thank you. What, what's your team like? So, so who are you surrounding yourself with as far as your day-to-day -day work and, and who's who's helping you and what are they doing just briefly? So I own multiple businesses. So I have a similar dynamic in each one. And the goal is to bring people in that are better than I am at things mm -hmm. and then get them in, you know, in a circle, working through it, create SOPs together, all that. So there's a value that, you know, that each one feels like they own them as opposed to having to do them. Mm -hmm. um, and then we build that out from there. Um, my uh, design managed team, there's two of them, two mm -hmm. people. We do millions mm -hmm. a year in revenue, two people that run that operation and do an incredibly great job. They both are far more talented than I am. And they're drawing um, or they're not, they're not drawing. Are they drawing? Yeah, they, they did not physically drawing. They use a three-dimensional software, but yes, they are doing all the creativity side mm -hmm. and all the sales side and all the, the client relation experience mm -hmm. and managing all the subcontractors, all of that stuff they deal mm -hmm. with and mm -hmm. all of that stuff. So mm -hmm. they take care of everything. So two of them, and that's, that's that business there. Others I, I use often use, um, you know, f teams that are out of the office space. So I work from my house. I don't have a big office. I don't want it. Don't mm -hmm. need it. My company and you're not doing you're not doing your own other than scheduling yourself and doing meetings at the office you're occasionally meeting clients and then you're you're not doing billing and that type of thing either i don't meet any clients in that business that's mm -hmm. that's on the team um so they they manage all that they take care of all the billing i what i do is i'm i'm um, I'm more the cheerleader, if you will. And mm -hmm. the guy they bring big, hairy problems to, mm -hmm. and we talk them through. And when I ask the big question, I always ask Alan is, so how would you solve this problem? Mm -hmm. Because if I go in there and solve the problems all the time for him, guess what I'm going to always be doing. Yeah. Right? right. So, Hey guys, how would you solve this problem? And then have them talk through it and figure out how the logic might work. And I said, let's do that. And, ma and master plan works the same way. I mean, you're still active with them. You're, or no master plan's the business I'm talking about right yeah, now. Okay, I see. Yeah, I mean, I, it's just, again, it's all ubiquitous across all the platforms and different right. businesses. It's the same concept: is to empower the team 
to be even better than you could ever do it yourself, right? And so to get that, them to speak. Yeah, so with that in mind, I mean, you are, um, you got, you, it's, it's a big bag of cats. You got, you got a lot going on. Mm -hmm. um, do, do you feel like you're creative? And, and I understand everything you're saying is creative and innovative. And I'm not, I'm not in any way impugning that, but I'm just saying with regard to your work itself and the pragmatic installation of your work, do you feel like you're being creative and innovative in that portion of your work and in what you're actually putting out there to build? I do believe so. Yes. I believe that the, the team that's in charge of that, and we have mm -hmm. team here, like I said, within the two people, and we also have team offshore mm -hmm. that are helping us out as well mm -hmm. um, at a distance. So that's, that's super helpful, but they, they are extremely creative. We bounce ideas off each other as we're talking through the put a design up on the board. We'll take a look, we'll throw ideas out of as a team and off they go to the races, right? So, so do you feel like, is there something in the work that uh, is a new direction that is maybe a radical direction that you'd like to go and you're at the cusp of doing, but you haven't quite done yet? Good question. I don't know if it's radical, but we're actually spinning to go back to the old way, right? So, so much during COVID, we were at a distance, right? We have Zoom meetings, Loom presentations, everything was at a distance, right? Mm -hmm. And what we're finding, especially through this recessionary time, is that people actually want to talk to people again, mm -hmm. right? And there's, they want the human connection. So we're actually spinning yeah. the tables now and going back to in-person meetings again, sitting down when it comes to budgets and sitting at the kitchen table again. And because we started doing that even before COVID became a thing, before it was even a word, we were doing Looms, we were doing Zooms, we were doing all that stuff to speed up because I have what we call a, a zero drive time policy, which means I, I personally never leave my office, you know, except for family things, I go nowhere. So, cause I can only be most effective and efficient and dangerous behind my screen, doing what I need mm -hmm. to do for all the businesses as directing of all of those things mm -hmm. and leading them. So if I'm out driving around, that's time lost. So anyway, my team does most of, or all of that at this point. But my point is that now we've had to go back and look and we constantly are watching our LSR, you know, our leads, our sales and our referrals, constantly watching that cycle and see if there's any holes happening in them. And we're noticing that there are, um, people are slower to say yes at this point, given the mm -hmm. current nature of, this, of mm -hmm. our economy. So how do we get back to more yeses? Well, we spend more time with our clients. We always go back to spending more time. Time is our most valuable asset. So let's give it to them. Let's make sure that mm -hmm. they can not just hear us, but feel us too. Mm -hmm. Give us the highest probability of actually helping that client create an amazing yeah, I, backyard. I think that's true. And it was, it was, it was lost. There was something gained and there was something lost, like in any kind of, uh, you know, uh, challenge like that with the, with the pandemic from a business standpoint, especially, yeah. I feel like, you know, we weren't really not on zoom or any of these video calls until that time. Yeah. And as soon as I got on a video call, the very first job I sold was like $150,000 with someone who just saw me on video, you know, yeah. You're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, well, why didn't I do this before? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now it's kind of ubiquitous. I know that when the pandemic hit, the Zoom was valued uh, almost within two weeks at uh, a valuation that, that was equal to all of the airlines combined, which is just shocking when you think about what they're actually doing. Exactly. So this is great stuff from you. And I, I, it's always an inspiration. I can see why people tune into your podcast. And uh, why they sign up for Yes Express and and leave beaming and uh, and jacked to to do some fantastic work. And I know you're doing that every day. So I appreciate you joining me today. And uh, Godspeed to you, man. Thank you, Alan. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's nice to finally see you face to face. I've seen a lot of your posts and things, so it was really nice to just spend some time and get to know you. All right, man. You take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you.